Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. What's happening, everybody? Welcome to a brand new episode of Crossed Up. The Phillies are streaking. Anthony Sanfilippo's here. He's down at the park all week covering it, smoking all. And I'm Bob Wankel bringing you in in the midst of a Phillies five-game winning streak, clawing ever so close to the 500 mark yet again. Anthony, I'm going to bring you right in. You were down there last night. You covered the whole series against the Detroit Tigers. I guess I'll just ask it to you like this. Should Phillies fans be excited about this little resurgence or are they simply taking advantage of two shitty teams or is it a little bit of both this morning? Yeah, it's probably a little bit of both, Bob. I mean, that's I mean, that's they're doing what they're supposed to do, right? You're supposed to beat the shitty teams. And and they did. They, you know, they lost that first game to Washington. Um, you know, chalk that up to getting behind six, nothing. And then, you know, they work their way back, almost actually pull it out. Uh, but they lose that game. Uh, but then since then they've, they've been doing what they need to do. So yes, you, you, that's good. You should be happy about it. You should, this is how you get back into it, right? It's what the Phillies did last year. They beat up on bad teams and got back into it. And then, you know, we know what happened. Um, but at the same time, there are some, red flags that go up and you're like, why can't you hit the freaking Detroit Tigers pitching? Like they've really struggled against them, especially the last two games. Um, you know, they're not, they weren't taking pitches. They didn't walk in the second game of the series at all. Um, yeah, they got screwed a little bit by the wind. They hit three balls to the wall. That probably would have been home runs if the wind wasn't blowing out. Right. But other than that, I didn't think it was a very good approach at the, at the plate. And then last night until the end, until the ninth inning, they didn't do anything at the plate again against Detroit's pitchers. And they're not great pitchers. I mean, they're OK. I mean, Detroit's lineup is what sucks. But I mean, the, the pitchers, I mean, it's not like they're, they're throwing all stars out there. So, yeah, there are some red flags still. So I go back to last year. I saw it tweeted quite often throughout the course of this week, and it's something that I agree with. Phillies were 71-72 and against every other team in baseball last year that was not the Washington Nationals. They were 16-3 and against the Nationals. They took advantage of one opponent and kind of rode that to a playoff spot, and then you saw what happened. And so I cannot discount the fact that they took care of business and swept the Tigers, which is exactly what I asked them to do on Monday. When we talked Monday, you were like, well, two out of three. And I said, no, you know, you've dug yourself this hole. If you want to get out of it, this is exactly what you have to do. And so the fact that they go out and they get a sweep, they throw the ball well, starting pitching look good against a very poor lineup. I'm not going to pick them apart too, too much this morning because they – it is hard to sweep series no matter who you're playing. And so the fact that they had sunk to seven below, I'm wondering, is there any possibility that they can get back to 500 by the end of the month? Well, they've just done themselves a huge favor in, in terms of trying to get back. 
But I agree. I mean, you watch these games play out, especially on Tuesday night and then last night. You get the starting pitching, and you almost waste it because your bats are so poor. And you you continue to wait for this lineup that's 21st and runs scored with all of these big-name players with big track records, and they just cannot seem to get it going with any consistency. So, yes, use the term red flag. We use that term frequently on this show. Were they present this week? Absolutely. Absolutely. But last night, that is a game that the Phillies lose, they lose, they lose, and they won it. And and for that, I say, okay, great. You've picked yourself up off the mat yet again. Now let's see what you do against some of the big boys. Let's see what you do against the Los Angeles Dodgers this weekend at home. Let's see what you do against those red-hot Arizona Diamondbacks who lead the NL West right now in a four-game series after they came in here a couple weeks ago and beat you up. I mean... It's, it's another yet another opportunity for a show-me set of games after they stumbled last week. Yeah, it is. But the, the, I think the, the one positive sign for the Phillies when you're going into these series against these teams is that the starting pitching has kind of stabilized itself a little bit, right? I mean, you look at the, the last four outings, uh, the four – the four starter, they only have four starters right now. They're throwing a bullpen game every fifth game. Uh, but there are four starters, each win at least seven innings. I think it's the first time that that's happened in nine years. Um, and they all look good, right? And, again, we're you're, you're talking about pitching against bad lineups, but that's what you have to do. Like, you can't you can't go out there and let these weaker lineups look, look good against you. But yeah, I mean, that's, that's the alternative. Like, yeah. you sit there and look at that Detroit lineup and you go – I thought Nick Maytime was hitting cleanup because of the, the opponent. Like, oh, we're yeah. going to let Nick hit cleanup because we're playing the Phillies and we suck and who cares? And then you start to look at that lineup and you're like, oh, my God, like Nick Maytime with his 160 batting average might actually be in that lineup a middle-of-the-order hitter. And, I mean, it's scary. But what's the alternative? Going out, missing spots, not making pitches, giving up four runs, getting blooped to death. I mean, we've seen that with this unit yeah. throughout the course of the season. So if that's the alternative, then kudos to them for finally doing it. Yeah, they were throwing strikes. I mean, that was that was the key. And we right, I mean, you want to fill the zone and 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 that's what they were doing. So so I look at that and I say, you know, as long if they're doing that, if they're able to throw throw well and pitch well, even if the lineup continues to be inconsistent you should still have a chance to win most nights. You should be in games and have a chance. to. You're not going to win every game, but you should have a chance to win most nights. It's the, the games that get you frustrated is when they're out of it in the third inning. And it's like, all right, well, whatever. Here we go. They're going to get blown out again tonight. It's terrible. But but if they're, you know, at least they're hanging in there and have a shot to win some of these games, then, yeah, then it's good. And so, so I think that the, the pitching is trending in the right direction. The hitting is not. Um, and, and, you know, would love to have them both come around at the same time, sure. But as long as the pitching is going right, I think that you're you could feel a little bit better about things than maybe if it was the other way around. Well, I kind of want to stick on the starting pitching to get this thing rolling a little bit, and I've I felt kind of conflicted about about how this this starting rotation should be viewed. And so, just a couple overview numbers here. Even after this week. Philly's starting pitching still has the fourth worst ERA in the National League. Mm -hmm. They've also thrown the fifth least amount of innings. Now, part of that has to do with the fact that they've used a, a bullpen game frequently. Uh, there have been plenty of games where that starting pitcher only goes one, two innings. Other teams, though, in the National League also are in a similar situation, so I can't exclusively chalk it up to, well, the Phillies don't have a fifth starter. 
not good. But on the flip side of it, you go into fan graphs and then you look at war, right, by unit. They're first in the National League in war from their starting pitchers. And a lot of that has to do with what we've seen from Aaron Nola, what we've seen from Zach Wheeler specifically, because they do certain things well that kind of pump up those wins above replacement numbers and fan graphs. But then I go, okay, we know the deal, the inconsistencies with Tywan Walker. We know that Ranger Suarez is still sort of feeling his way back. He's been better the last two times out. We know the issues with the fifth starter. And I would love for you to get to in a moment what you heard after the game last night uh, <laughs> about that fifth starter spot. But then you look at Aaron Nola, who we've talked about a lot on this show, and you start to dive into some of his numbers. And we know that it's been up and down. We know that he hasn't been himself. But then you look at some of what he's done this year. And again, National League starters tied for the third best whip with a guy like Zach Galen, who everyone feels is one of the top contenders in the National League for the Cy Young Award. He's ahead of guys like Strider and Kershaw and whip. He's allowed the seventh lowest batting average against this season in the National League amongst qualified starters. I find that hard to believe, but it's true. So like you look at Aaron Nolan, you see that he's doing some things exceedingly well statistically, yet you sort of are left wanting more with the overall end result. And I feel like that that's kind of a representation of this entire starting rotation. You see Zach Wheeler with the gem against the Braves. He blows up against the Nationals. He was fantastic in the finale against the Tigers. All of a sudden, you're looking at some of Zach Wheeler's numbers, and I won't dive into it too much, but... He's second best in, in uh, fielding independent pitching right now. Second best war among uh, National League starting pitchers. Like, I mean, there's cer certain things that he's done exceedingly well. And yet we feel a little bit underwhelmed by what he's done relative to what he's done in previous years. Yeah, it's weird, Bob. Um, I, and I think I think there's more answers for what what hasn't worked for Nola than what hasn't worked for Wheeler. Um uh, it's it's hard it's harder to to me it's harder to look at Wheeler's starts and say w when he's not going well why he's not going well you know what I'm saying but with Nola you could sit there and say he had velocity issues and you know he struggled with the pitch clock early in the year still as a matter of fact he still is struggling with it in a, in a lot of ways um, but you, know, you you can identify he's not striking out as many batters or teams are putting more balls in play against him right so so he's giving up more home runs. Um, and he's given up more walks than he did last year. So that's why his ERA is higher. That's why he's had a, a little bit more up and down. With Wheeler, like, you're not seeing those things. Like, with Wheeler, he's striking guys out. I mean, he didn't in the game against Washington. They, they put a lot of bats on balls in that one game. But Wheeler's still getting strikeouts. He's still, you know, do having dominant, like, stretches of innings. And and yet he's giving up runs too, and he's had some bad innings too. I, I've had a little bit of a harder time pinpointing the difference with Wheeler year over year than with Nola year over year. I know that we attach the pitch clock issues almost exclusively to Aaron Nola, but it is worth mentioning that Zach Wheeler has alluded to his distaste yeah. for the pitch clock numerous times this season. Yeah. So I do wonder, while it may appear more pronounced with Aaron Nola, uh, certainly after that first start against the Rangers back in, on opening day, everyone said, oh, he can't pitch with the pitch clock. It became this this big story, and I don't think he's been able to really shake that since. But I do wonder if, if Zach Wheeler is feeling a lot of those same things. At the same time, when you look at Zach Wheeler, and I don't know if this is because of 
of how dominant he's been and maybe you kind of tip your cap about how well he pitched for them uh, in the postseason last year and just what a horse he's been since he's been here. But I sort of look at his starts and sometimes when things go sideways on him, I am inclined to kind of almost chalk it up to bad luck. I'll say, well, it's just he kind of got dinked and dunked to death or there was a ball in the outfield that probably could have been caught and it wasn't. We certainly saw that in Washington. The defense did him no favors. He wasn't great in that opener against Washington, but he was not helped by his outfield defense. So I I almost am like, I, I feel like he's thrown the ball pretty well and the results haven't at times always reflected how well he's thrown the baseball. And I do think it's reasonable to expect that he has sort of turned the corner Uh, notwithstanding that Washington start, I I just think the way that he was so dominant against Atlanta, and we know how good that lineup is. I mean, my God, that Atlanta lineup is unbelievably good. And then you see him take advantage of a totally overmatched, overwhelmed opponent last night. I I just feel like from here on out, I have some reasonable confidence that that Zach Wheeler is Zach Wheeler still. I, I, yeah. And I, and I agree with you. He even said it himself last night. He said, because I mean, obviously last night was his, statistically well it's probably his best game right even though he was really good against Atlanta too I guess you could compare the two he said he felt good last night he said he didn't feel as good as he felt like he felt against Atlanta he even said he said the Atlanta game was the best I felt all year he said tonight I felt good but not as good as the Atlanta game and I think that that's part of what you're saying right I mean you know you knew when you pitched that well against that lineup something's something's working for you Right. And and maybe he felt maybe it's like, yeah, I probably got away with a few against Detroit because Detroit's Detroit. Right. Um, and maybe he, that's why he doesn't doesn't feel as well. But, yeah, you're right. I mean, I think that he's turned. I think you're right. He's turned a corner. He had a little bit of bad luck against Washington. Um, but I think it, those that's just one of those just one of those starts that happens. Every, you know, you're going to get a handful of those a year. Um, yeah, I think I, I'm confident in Wheeler going forward. Uh, you know, I'm. I, I, I'm okay with where Nola is, but I'm not. He needs to be better overall. I, I'm I'm okay with where he's been most of his starts this year, um, but it needs to be better. He again, he needs to get that velocity to where it needs to be, so that and get away from the cutter, man. Like that, I don't understand why. He's, oh, we've talked about that. Yeah. We talked about the lack of success with the cutter. Yeah, he's but- gotta get away. But but so yeah, but I think that those guys are okay. And then, and then you look at Suarez, and I think you know those last two starts, he's like. Again, he's looked a little bit more like Ranger Suarez the last two starts. Not quite there yet. I mean, there's still some pitches that I think he got away with because he faced some bad teams. But, yeah, he's looked better. We'll see how he looks tonight against Dodgers. Um, This is a big test for him tonight. This is a a true quality opponent. I I don't think you can play the he's working his way back card anymore. His last two starts, he's thrown 13 and two-thirds innings. He's allowed 13 hits, three earned runs, seven strikeouts, three walks. And he's thrown a lot of pitches. He's throwing a lot of pitches. So I don't want to hear at this yeah. point that, well, he's still feeling his way back. Like he's been good. He's taken advantage. I think, as you said, of, of some, some standard lineups tonight is a different story. They really could use him here. You look at how the rotations lined up through the series, the pitching probables, you know what the Dodgers are capable of. Uh, they were not particularly good against Cincinnati this week. I know they got a win in the finale. Kershaw was excellent, but you know, this is an opportunity to kind of show that you can play with some of these elite teams. And I, and I don't want to digress too much. I want to stay on the rotation for a second. But one point I, I want to make, you said you're kind of OK with where Aaron Nola is. And I, I, too, am OK with where Aaron Nola is. 
I don't think that he has to take a massive step forward. Right. It's not like, oh my God, he's not even close to where he right. should be. Right. I think it's it's like an incremental thing. It's about finding some consistency. You mm-hmm. had to like where his velocity was the other night. Yeah. And you just want to see that roll over into his next start. You want to see that roll over into Saturday against the Dodgers. But the other point is this. We are, and I've said this from time to time, hyper-focused on what happens with the Phillies and how the Phillies play and how they respond and their ebb and flow. But sometimes I think you have to take a deep breath and you have to stand back and look at what's going on across the sport. And it kind of ties into what I was talking about earlier, which is, okay, well, you think Aaron Nola's not having a great season, but he's got the seventh best batting average against. He's been hard to hit relative to other National League starting pitchers. The whip is up there. Like There are certain things about his game that have been elite or in that elite grouping. So that kind of lets you know that Look at some of the other big-name starters around baseball. It's been a struggle for a lot of guys. I mean, hell, I would tell you, who do you want to watch? If, if, if I have a game on in front of me, who do I want to see throw a baseball? Who do I love to watch throw a baseball right now? And Spencer Strider is one of those guys. But Spencer Strider wasn't special against the Phillies in that finale down in Atlanta last two Sundays ago. And, and last night, he got lit they, have up. An <laughs> they have an opportunity to sweep a struggling, a scuffling Mets team without its best hitter. I mean, you look at the Mets lineup and you take Pete Alonso out of the equation, which you might actually now be doing for the next few weeks. Saw John Heyman this morning as before we were getting on said that Pete Alonso, there's some concern that he may miss extended time. You take Pete Alonso out of that lineup, that Mets lineup flat out sucks. Mm-hmm. Spencer Strider got destroyed last night. Now, if if we're a Braves podcast, are we doing the, well, what's wrong with Spencer Strider? He's not the same guy. What's going on? His ERA went from 2-9 to 3-6. And, you know, Zach Wheeler almost passed Spencer Strider last night in ERA. <laughs> Started the game like a run and a half apart. Yeah. And they almost he almost closed the gap. So, like, we would be going crazy over a guy like Spencer Strider, whereas from a distance we say, oh, my God, could you imagine if they were getting something like that right now? I mean, what if if you're a Mets fan and you got Scherzer and Verlander? But you know what? Shame shame on the Mets because you could see that shit coming from a mile away. Like, you could. Could you not? Yes, of of course. You know, I, you know, I, you know, I could see it coming from a mile. I've been saying it since March. Yes. But like, that's the thing. Like, (laughs) I, I am surprised to the extent. Like, like how bad they've been. Yeah. I thought we would get the injuries and, yeah, yeah. you know, the blow-up start occasionally. And I thought it was going to be more injury-based, like what we saw with DeGrom, than just flat out being brutal. Yeah. But, I mean, could you could you imagine? Yeah, could you imagine being a Mets fan? You know, like, you talk about Barstool, and they have that guy Frank Fleming. Yeah. I'm sure you've seen the yeah. videos. He melts down and screams at his microphone, and he's ripping his shirt apart yeah. last night. Yeah. And it's, like, a little over the – I mean, it's a lot over the top. <laughs> but, like, you know, you watch it, and you're like, it doesn't take a total psychopath to do, do these things if you're a Mets fan. You know, you look at it, and you're like, I kind of get it. Yeah. Like, these guys are really that bad. Uh, they are they are infuriating, and I actually want to talk a little bit more about the Mets, like in, in a couple, you know, a couple segments down the road here, because yeah. I know yeah. you want to, I know you want to flex this morning on the Mets. <laughs> but the point is, is just that you know, you look at Aaron Nola, you go, "Oh my God, what's wrong? What's wrong? What's wrong?" Uh, maybe there's not as much wrong as you think. Maybe it really has been two months, and he's been okay, and it's reasonable to expect that he ends up somewhere in the neighborhood 
of where he typically ends up. And you know, for me, I'm not always right enamored no. with that. No, you know, yeah, I know, I know. But you know, hey, I mean, like, do I want to go hand the guy two hundred million dollars over seven years? Not especially, but. Th- you know, I think that maybe some of the struggles and, and I, I think this is a call out of myself as well. I think sometimes some of the struggles that we see because we ride with it every series, every game, every start, and maybe they get a little bit over exaggerated. Yeah. I, I, and I think that, and I think that that's fair. And I think it's good that you're able to, to, you know, take a step back and see it that way. Um, and at the same time, you know, it, it doesn't excuse when some when they don't do well, right? I mean, it's not an excuse for for not to, oh, just because everybody else is struggling, so that we're allowed to struggle too. Like you, you can't have that be an excuse either. But you're right. I mean, look, if you look at anywhere, I mean, where where in the sport are you sitting there going, oh man, one through five, that pitching staff is untouchable right now. I mean, everybody's got their issues. I mean, only the Dodgers seem to be able to keep pulling guys up who could pitch, right, That out of the minors and they're ready to go. Braves a little bit. I mean, you see what Bryce Elder, what he's done, although he got hit by the Mets right. too a little bit, right? I mean, so um, – but, yeah, the, you know, every team has this same problem with pitching. Pitching is a – there's no pitching anymore. There's not enough pitching in baseball anymore. So when you when you compare it, maybe historically it doesn't look as good, but when you look at it, you know – in the in the current season with what's going on in baseball it's not nearly as bad as as you make it out as as people make it out to be well you just said something very important here with what's going on in baseball and i know that you've been banging the drum about the pitch clock you don't (laughs) like it uh it's had an impact on the quality of the game certainly it's had an impact on the pacing of the game and a lot of fans will sit there and applaud that you know and say hey this is great i I love the fact i'm cool with that that part I'm cool with. I, I I don't like the what it's done to the quality. Well, and that's kind of what I want you to just elaborate on a little bit. Uh, I know that you've talked to some people uh, mm-hmm. and, and some players, and I, I know that this is a thing that you've sort of been tracking, right? Yeah. I mean, it's real, right? Like, we live in Philadelphia, and we do this thing, and I've gotten on this show, and I've said things like this before where it's like, oh, I don't care. You know, you got to figure it out. Figure it out. It's your reality. You had time to prep for it. You have time to deal with it. You've got to adjust, make an adjustment. Some guys have, so you should too. Everyone has to make an adjustment. And that's, I think there's truth in that. Sure. But you also have to acknowledge the reality that it has made the pitcher's job significantly harder. Like you can say like, figure it out, but you also have to understand like as a fan, when these guys are talking about it, like, yes, it does come across as an excuse and it sounds like an excuse. But players talk about this stuff because it's real, because it does have an impact. Yeah, for sure. And and I think there's a lot of things, you know, just to kind of give uh, everybody a kind of a heads up of, of, of why this we're bringing this up is, you know, one of the things I've been thinking about doing story wise is is diving into how it's how the pitch clock is negatively impacting pitchers uh, in, in all across baseball, not just Phillies pitchers. Um, and so, you know, when t- other teams come in, maybe check in with some guys on the other teams during, you know, their warm up session and stuff. Talk to some Phillies pitchers, of course, keep you know checking in with them on a little bit more regular basis. Um, had a real long talk with a pitcher uh, the other day during the, the game that got canceled, uh, the smoke game. Um, so really kind of looking at things. And there are a lot of little things, Bob, that I don't think anybody really takes into consideration. I'll give you a, a, an example of one. Right. So let's no runners are on base. Right. They have 15 seconds to throw a pitch. Catcher calls for a pitch. 
pitcher wants to shake him off. All right. Can he really, does he really have time to shake it off and go to another pitch? Now, if you're using pitch com, sure, you can, you can then punch in another pitch, but you have to have done it like really early in that 15 seconds. If not, then you're switching to hand signals. And if you're switching to hand signals, the pitcher is looking at the hand signals with one eye and the clock with the other. So, it, and if it's done late, if you if you want to shake it off later in that 15 seconds, right, then you don't really have time to do it. You can't step off the rubber. You can't, you could step off if there's a runner on base, but you can't step off if there's nobody on. So it's either the pitcher then at that point has to make an instant choice in his head. Do I take a, do I just take a ball because I didn't want to throw that particular pitch or throw that pitch and hope that it doesn't come back at me or doesn't hurt, you know, hurt the team. It's a tough call to make, right? I mean, it's a, that's a really tough decision. And, you know, pitchers are saying that they, they sometimes are getting themselves crossed up with the catchers because of, of, of these things. That's just one small example. You know, they're recognizing that the umpires are missing more pitches this year. And it's not that the umpires just suddenly got progressively worse from 2022 to 2023. The problem is, is that Major League Baseball is forcing them to have more responsibility by monitoring who's looking at, you know, are you looking at the pitcher? Okay. Is the pitcher now, is he too set up? Is he set up too early? All these things, watching the clock, making sure everything's happening within a certain time. Those home plate umpires have so much more responsibility now. So they're going to miss because of that, they're going to end up missing more pitches. And so it's, it's the, it's a fail. It's doomed to fail. They're doomed to fail more frequently. Um, and you talk about facing teams, uh, you know, repeatedly, you know, guys who you faced dozens of times over the last few years. Sometimes you want to think about how you want to approach. It's more of a chess match with those guys. Can't be anymore. Now you got to kind of prepare that. You've got to think about your three potential times you're going to face a batter in a game before the game and kind of map that out before the game and not so much in the game, in the moment, in the situation. A lot of these things are happening and these guys are just trying to figure out how to do that they're going to they're they're going to struggle with it and it's you know not to mention the fact that pitcher injuries are up right if you out of if you've seen yeah. that like yeah. there there's uh i think it's something like 28 more injuries at this point this year than there was at this point last year among pitchers um so you, you have pitchers throwing less innings throwing less pitches and we haven't even hit the hot months yet i was i had one one pitcher tell me says just wait till it's you know close to 95 100 degrees and we can't. And we're out there, and we're dying. He's like, hey, how, "What are we going to do? Like, we can't slow the game down." Um, and I, I, we go through all this, and you gave me this platform to talk about this for for me to throw this out there because I'm it's I'm starting to hear these whispers, Bob. Baseball may not use the pitch clock in the in the playoffs. Which which look, if you're going to make that a rule, you make it a rule, and it's got to me, it's got to stick, right? But if it's not, if you're going to pull it out of the playoffs, what is the message that you're sending if you do that? Well, okay, so there's there's a few different things. I'll tackle your question specifically first. What it's what it's saying is that it's good enough to help us get through and expedite the regular season, but we acknowledge that in this is not what baseball truly. This is not the essence of baseball. This is not how it's meant to be played. So when the stakes are at their highest. We are going to remove it from the equation. I will tell you that there are probably some other considerations to it. Not only is it not truly baseball, but it's also, 
in the postseason, do you really mind if the games are longer? Right, right. Do you care if the game's three hours and 30 minutes? Because as we've seen, we witnessed this last October, that that drawn out element of the game is what sort of builds the drama. Correct. And you can sell more commercials. And I just think that... It, you can look at the NHL and say, well, they do shootouts all year. And then when they get to the postseason, they play real hockey in overtime. It's the same thing. It's not the same thing because you're literally removing the element of how the mechanics of the game are played now. You know, it's like, it's a huge mechanical part of the game. So it's not quite the same thing, but we obviously see different rules for postseason versus regular season. That's why baseball is probably like, we can do this. Um, But yeah, I mean, what it's telling you is that they, there is an acknowledgement that, that it's it has a great impact on the game and and it's one that when when it's all on the table that they don't really want it to be the factor that it that it's been to this point that's what it tells me yeah i, I mean you know, there's one guy that i talked to the other day who you know who it is um had a long conversation with the other day uh i said to him i said you know it's not going away and he's no no it's not going away i said would you would you think five five more seconds if they were, if Major League Baseball was to come back to you and say, "All right, we're going to up it from fifteen and twenty to twenty and twenty-five," he said that would make a world of difference. He said it would be a world of difference. He says you don't think it, you don't think it is, but five seconds is a lot of time, and he says he says it it would change a lot and and be a lot more like normal if we could do that. We'd go five more seconds. So with that and a couple like you know obviously a step off with nobody on you know they want to because they're limited on the number of balls they can throw out too right they're only allowed i think three per per a bat that they're allowed to throw out a ball or whatever but um there's little things that they they could do to make it a little bit better but um yeah no i I don't think anybody wants it wants i don't think the pitchers want it to go away completely i think they understand the need for faster games but at the same time they want to sit there and go hey a batter can take a timeout every at bat whoa why can't I have have something? You know, right. um, they just want they just want a little bit more that they can do to kind of pump the brakes every once in a while. And if it means a game instead of it being two hours and seven minutes, like it was the other night, if it's two hours and seventeen minutes or two hours and twenty minutes, are people really going to be that pissed off? You know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, they're, it's you're still cutting twenty minutes out of the average length of the game from a year over year it's probably going to only add another five or six minutes from it, from from what we're seeing right now. I think that that's really probably the best middle ground for them to go with. All right, so I want to jump back into the end of the finale against Detroit. Yeah, let's and talk about that. Because I need to relive the magic of an incredible walk-off <laughs> or anything like that. But, yeah, I, I, do you want to relive uh, the – the uh, Cody Clemens revenge game is greater than the Nick Maton revenge Dude, game. Dude, that was your tweet, man. That was yeah, your, that was your tax. It was yeah. a big thing. Yeah. yeah. Listen, I, I look at the way that this game plays out at the end last night, and I, I find it to be interesting on numerous levels. I texted you as you were covering it, and I was, I was here at home. And I said, you know, man, Bryce Harper is missing so, so many pitches right now. He's ahead of pitches early in the count. He's yanking everything, mm-hmm. and he's getting fastballs late in the count. It looks like teams right now are like, "Hey, let's try to beat him with slow stuff early, Pitch get him behind, yeah. and then let's try to let's try to beat him with fastballs later in the, later in counts." And and teams have had some success with that lately. I mean, he missed a number of pitches last night that were out over the plate that he would just typically, you know, for the lack of a better term, piss on. And he he is not right now. Now, to his credit, 
you look up at the stats and say, are you about to criticize Bryce Harper? And I'm going to say, no, I mean, he's, he came back early from an injury. He's had over a hundred at bats. Now he has an 842 OPS. He's been pretty good, you know, but I also look at the fact that he has just three home runs uh, in those 115 at bats that he's had. He has the double last night, kind of gets things going. I think that's a testament to him that even when he's not locked in to the degree that he probably expects of himself, that he's still able to to produce and and even produce in big moments. He had the sack fly earlier in the game after he, again, wasted some pitches that were very hittable. Like, he's so good that the numbers are, are pretty solid, and you never look at him and say, oh, God, you know, what is this? He's, he's just not getting it done. But I think we all have this expectation level of, of him, and I think he has it of himself, that like, can we acknowledge that Bryce Harper isn't isn't quite Bryce Harper at the moment? Yeah, I think so. And I, and what I think I, I replied to you last night, and I'll say again here, is I think Bryce has his moments that hide the struggles. And and that hit in the ninth inning to lead off the bottom of the ninth, a double to right field was one of those like that was a really solid swing and you know did he was on top of that pitch he kind of knew what he was going to get there and he just drove it the right field and gets a double on it right and it's and so a swing like that hides the struggles of the rest of the game where he looked not good you know and yeah he did get the sack fly but it was one of those you know i just got to put this ball in the air kind of kind of swings and you know it was fine um and you even said you even said it before we started recording that some of his you know, hits are singles that he's hustling into doubles, right? That they that they aren't pure doubles. They are, you know, hustle play doubles. Yeah, he has nine doubles this year. Again, just off the top of my head, I would think that three, at least three or four of them are, are basically weak singles that he's just beat the second base. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, and that's right. I mean, and, and credit to him, by the way. I mean, like, yeah. I, that's, it's not a that's not a criticism of him, but yes, it's not like hey, uh, off the top of the wall here, you know. Exactly, exactly. So it's it, you know, it, it's hard to criticize Harper because of what he's done and how he's done it to get back to playing and and to play at the level that he plays at. Um, but you are seeing some 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 plate appearances that just are not Bryce Harper esque. And and there's a few more of them in the past seven days or so than there than there were even before that. I got, like I thought much of May, he had some really strong plate appearances, and then in the in the last week he just seems to be scuffling at times. And like you said, credit to him because he he does he does find a way to get out of it here and there, uh, so it doesn't ultimately look as bad when you look back on it but yeah I, I, and i think you could see some frustration just talking to him after the game last night i mean well that's where i wanted to go yeah and i, I set that up i mean, why don't you just give me your overall view of, of the conversation of, of how you felt listening to him but also then maybe his assistant general manager suggestion as well <laughs> <laughs> well so like look like they just won the game right they just come back and won the game three to two you know the locker room's pretty happy right you know they the music playing and everything else and and then you wander over and look, and he was not, he didn't seem thrilled. He was sitting, sitting in his chair, you know, and he's sitting there in his, in his shorts and his t-shirt, hasn't even been to the shower yet. Just kind of like very contemplative sitting there, not like really talking to anybody, just kind of like in his own little thing. Um, you know, we walk over and, you know, he's like, yeah, all right, I'm, I'm ready to go. And he just has that look on his face. It's not like, you know, I'm happy that we just won our fifth game in a row. 
I'm happy that I just got a big hit to start the rally. None of that. It, it was kind of like, you know, almost like we got away with one kind of, kind of a look on his face. Um, and, and, you know, he says some things sometimes when you listen to him and you, you go, okay, well, where, what is he trying to convey? What is he trying to suggest? And then, you know, the first one, if someone asks about Cody Clemens, you know, Hey, is it cool for, you know, a guy like that, you know, who's really considered a depth guy to come in and get the big hit, you know, his dad was in the building and everything else. And Bryce says, yeah, that's awesome. It's great. But then he also says, you know, it's great to have young guys step up and do things when the veteran players aren't doing what they're supposed to do. Now, what are you, who's that, who's that saying? Is he talking about himself? Is he talking about Turner still struggling or Real Muto still struggling or Schwarber kind of, you know, in the middle of somewhat struggling, somewhat not struggling? Like, what is he, who is he, who is he saying? Or is he just generically saying that, right? Like, right. You know, what, what's the message? You got to try and kind of dive into what Bryce is saying. Um, was your interpretation that that was aimed at a specific player or is it kind of an acknowledgement that uh, as a whole, maybe even himself included Trey Turner, Kyle Schwarber, myself, uh, JT Romuto, we haven't done it to the extent we should should be yeah, doing Yeah, I mean, right. I, I like to think that that's where he's at. I don't think that Bryce is pointing a finger at someone specific. I, I, I like to think that he's he's recognizing that it's more than one guy who's not lived up to the expectation to this point um but it's you know it's good to hear that right it's nice to hear him in the in a moment where it's like it's easy to you know do the everything's rosy hey we just won another game this is awesome this is what this team's all about resilience and everything else all the keywords that we always hear you know 20 of uh, the first man to the 26th man whatever however whatever cliche you want to use it's easy to go down that route and he chose not to. He chose rather to identify something to say, hey, you know, yeah, we won. It's great that these guys can help, but everybody else is not doing their job yet, right? So we got to get right. there. So I, I kind of look at it that way. But the other thing he said, and this kind of equates back to when we were talking about the starting pitching, Zalecki asked him, this is, you know, hey, you know, we've got four four starts in a row now from your starters, seven innings, you know, really good starts. Do you kind of feel like that's a – that's a good thing that they're, they're going in the right direction, you know? And, and, you know, he's, he says, yeah, we still need that fifth though. Right. Like that's his initial response is like, we still need a fifth guy. And then he says, uh, uh, hopefully we can get whoever that is or whatever that may be kind of put a little less pressure on the bullpen. So like, you know, rather than sit there and talk about how great Zach Wheeler was tonight, he almost throws a no hitter. He's sitting there going, yeah, well, we need a fifth starter. <laughs> Well, what that tells me is that there's a goal in mind here, and it's to get back to the World Series. Yeah. Like I'm telling you, I've I've speculated this, and I don't think it really requires anyone to go out on a on a limb to do so here. But he did not come back early to go 82 and 80 and miss the playoffs. He didn't come back early yeah. to get knocked out in the wild card round. Like he came back to get back to October. Like that's a that's a player that thrived on a big stage last October. He's a, a player that had not previously really had that opportunity. It's been a long time since he'd even been in the postseason before that. I, I think that he feels like I need that. I need to get back. And I know right now what's preventing us from getting back and we better get it fixed. Yeah. And I, I don't think that anybody upstairs, you know, down at, at Citizens Bank Park is, or, you know, sitting in the executive offices, listening to that and going like, damn it, Bryce. You know, they know. Yeah. Like, 
nobody's looking at this and saying that they don't need another starting pitcher. But I think it's nice from a from a fan perspective to hear a player say that because you go, okay, not only is he not feeling uh, overly celebratory in light of their comeback win over the Tigers in which they needed a comeback bailout, even though they're starting pitcher threw a no hitter into the eighth inning. I think that that's in a way sort of pathetic. And I think he kind of realizes that I think he's, I think this is a guy it's like, yo, this is about getting back to the end and like, let's do it. We need to get these things going. Like we need to play better. We need our veteran hitters to be better. We need a fifth starter. It's comical that we don't like have one right now. I, I think that that's where his mindset is at the moment. Yeah, I think you're right. I, I, I think you're right. And, and, uh, so that is just on that note, you know, with the with the smoke out the other day, it changed the the bullpen game situation. Originally, they were going to go Tuesday in Arizona, and then the following Sunday in Oakland with an off day after the Oakland game, so that the, you know you feel okay about using up the bullpen like that. Okay, great. Now with the smoke out, the way things had to move, you had to move the bullpen game back to Monday in Arizona, mm-hmm. which means it's going to be Saturday in Oakland which means that there's not an off day following the bullpen game. So they have to have a starter throw on Sunday. Um, yeah. So you, you can kind of understand why Bryce is feeling that way. Right. I mean, you know, it would be nice to have another pitcher in the rotation when you got Atlanta coming in and the Mets coming in the fo- that following weekend so, or week. So um, I, I don't know, Bob, I don't know how much longer they can go with that. I think maybe those two starts is probably the extent of it. We've looked at that, couple weeks ago right and we thought you maybe can sneak through the oakland series by with bullpen games but you need somebody eventually and i think it needs all to right well, look i, I kind of want to revisit this in a moment the other element of last night's game certainly cody clemens and yeah cody clemens comes through for them and he has 90 at bats now this season he has a 753 ops he's had a number of big hits they like his overall presence i think that they like the roger clemens tie-in because every time i turn on the tv i feel like i see roger clemens he was in the booth last night yeah. you know I, I think that there's a dave dombrowski obviously likes him this is a dave dombrowski guy um i i mentioned that because the phillies have some interesting roster decisions coming ahead here Derek hall is is about uh, i think seven games into his his rehab at this point six seven games in He's been okay. A uh, couple extra base hits. You know, he's seemingly healthy enough, or he will be very shortly to, to come back up. And I'll do radio hits, and everyone wants to ask about, like, Derek Hall. You know, what do you think about Derek Hall? Like, he, he's going to be a, a real big boost to this, this bench, right? Or maybe even when they're facing righties, he'll give him another element of power, right? And I'm like, I don't know that Derek Hall is, is coming back here anytime soon. He's... If, He's blocked right now, is he not? I mean, yeah. they're not gonna, they're not going to because their issues exist with the right-handed bench bat. Correct. And you know, uh, I don't want to state the obvious here, but he's not the solution to that. So I don't see a a Hall for Clemens swap. No. Uh, they've already. Like, it's not going to be Hall for Harrison. It, it's not the. It's not an even swap. It's they do different things. Right. Like, it, defensively, there's a totally different profile. Well, there. I mean, well, the thing is, is that if you if you were willing to have another lefty on the bench, you could, in essence, replace a Harrison um, or or a uh, Ellis because Clemens isn't just a for, Clemens can play other positions. Right. 
he's not great defensively anywhere, but he can play second, third, left field. Like I mean, like you could put Cody Clemens in those positions, and and he gets he can get you by. Um, so in essence, Cody can be Josh Harrison defensively. And then becomes another left. You just get another lefty on the bench. Well, the, the the other issue here is so you get Alec Bohm back this weekend, likely. Yeah, probably, um, probably Saturday. Sounded yeah. like Saturday. Yeah. yeah. So we talked about this on Monday's show. Hey, the 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 Ellis game, right? And then since then, nothing. So like they're back in the spot where Alec Bohm comes back. What do they do? Is it is it Ellis that goes out? Is it is it Her- like? Do they finally say, all right, Josh, like? This just isn't working out. See you later. Like they're going to have to make a move with one of those players as it is. And then I cannot imagine that you flip Hall for the other one. Right. Like, I don't think that I don't think it's Bowman Hall for Harrison and Ellis. So I just don't see an immediate path. Like, am I saying that Derek Hall never puts on a Phillies uniform again in 2023? No, but like, I don't think it's this obvious. Well, he's healthy now. Here he comes. Yeah, well, they really don't have a right-handed bench bat. Period. I mean, I guess Edmundo Sosa is technically it right now, but he's right. talk about a guy who's barely seeing time anymore. I mean, you know, Harrison got the start last night. Ellis played the other night. You know, they've each they've each gotten one game in the Tiger series. Um, well, I mean, he's I've, not been good defensively. Yeah. He struggled defensively, and he's he's not hitting. The more bats he gets, he seems to yeah. be less effective as a hitter. I mean, I know if you listen to the show, I keep talking about the overexposure element with him. I don't want to belabor the point, but I again, I think that the Phillies are recognizing that. Yeah, I, the thing of it is, is that you, know, you look at a guy like him, and you look at a guy like Dalton Guthrie, for example, who's still on the bench too, and you sit there and say. They can't move either of those guys because they are their primary backups at very key positions. So Sosa backs right. up shortstop, Guthrie backs up center field. Now, if Christian Pache is ready to go, I think Pache will be back up and Guthrie will go back down. I think that's a thing. I think that's a very I – mean, and Pache is getting close. I think he's like a week out. Um, so I think that's a that's a possibility. But other than that, yeah, you're right. I mean, so the, really the only options of moving players out of the, uh, off the roster are either Harrison or Ellis. I, I think they would maybe move Ellis out first. I'm not 100% on either of these, Bob. I don't know. I, I thought that Ellis had to hit this week yeah. in order to fend off Harrison. Yeah. I, I can – I mean, listen, I've been very unimpressed with, with Josh Harrison. Although I will say last night, that error, like, yeah, it was not any, anybody in the press box. Was that like a, you have to give him an error because that just cannot be the first. Hit well, the I'll game. tell you. So one of the, the, here's a good story for you. So the guy who does the, the official scorer, they moved him this year. He used to be on the other side of the press box. Now he's right near us. Right. I mean, so he's yeah. right there. So as so now he can hear you sigh. <laughs> <laughs> So as soon as the play happened, I immediately turned because he's sitting to our right. I immediately turned to look at him and you could see he really did not want to make this call. He's like sitting there. He's kind of like shaking his head. He's waiting a minute before he picks up the microphone. Like you could tell he knows it's a freaking hit, but he doesn't want to end the no hitter on a questionable call. So he called it an error and we were all like, oh, you know, I have a feeling I, I this could be one of those those uh, scoring decisions like two weeks from that now. They change. 
where they say, you know, that that was a hit upon further review yeah. in light of what transpired after. Yeah. Uh, I, I actually was wondering if they might do an in-game change after the, the, the first real hit. Yeah. Um, after the, I mean, that's a tough – to call an error That's a tough play. play. I mean, listen, someone was like, no, it was an error. Like, he didn't set his feet. I'm like, he had to sell out with forward momentum to pick the ball, which was a remarkable pick. Yeah. And then he had to throw with his momentum coming towards home plate across his body. And he makes a pretty good throw. He's purposely throwing a one-hop. Throwing yeah. it on the bounce. And yeah. I know that once you bounce it, the error tends to be on the throw. You can't really assume the pick at first base. Right. But if you're going to assign blame it should be on that Clemens. play not being made, it, it really should be on Clemens. So then you go, okay, well, it's not really – you can't you can't assume the error on the first baseman. You have to give it to the third baseman if you want to assign one. But really, was that an error? I mean, it was – yeah, well, I look, get it. Look, I wouldn't have. Here, if I were him, if I were the scorer, I would have probably scored an error too. Because again, you don't want it to be on that play. But in light of what happened, I would not be surprised if they. Yeah, I that. wouldn't be surprised either. And to be honest with you, Bob, if he, if Clemens picks it, he's out at first. Yeah. Right. I mean, so he he yeah. would have been out if Clemens makes the catch. So I guess I guess in the mind of the scorekeeper too, I guess that's how you can justify it a little right. bit in your head to say, hey, if the play is completed the guy would have been out. But the fact that the play wasn't completed, he was safe, so let me assign an error somewhere. Yes, it's a tough error, but it should. But yeah, you're right. I mean, you know, I, I think Harrison brings a lot to the clubhouse, and I think that that's what his cachet is at this point. Um, he's very well liked in that clubhouse. You walk in there, he's he's with different guys every night. He's always talking to guys, telling – like he's a very liked guy. And I think that that – there's something that can be said for that, right? If it, if your 26th guy on your bench is that, yeah, you want, I mean, sure. When he plays, you want more out of him. but if he brings an element to the team that is really brings some cohesion, you can almost accept having it. You know what I'm saying? Especially being a veteran guy. Is it fair to say that, that he, I don't know. I think he's obviously on the back end of the, of his, oh, he's, 30, very much. Yeah, he's 35. Yeah. He's 35 years old, but you almost see like, he's like a player where if I, if I'm defending him, if I'm defending his existence beyond just, they really like him, you know, yeah. which at some point that's not enough, but you almost just feel like he hangs in there. He hangs in there. He hangs in there. And at some point he's going to give you a really big at bat in a really key spot and you say wow thank god for that guy yeah well look, i mean even i just feel like i could see that playing out look here. even a play like last night right i mean it it, it, it kind of gets lost in the shuffle cuz nothing really happens but he hits that ground he hits that ground out and the throws a little bit wide to first he has the presence of mind to realize that the first baseman's coming off the bag that if he slides wide he could probably avoid the tag and get on base and maybe make something happen so like he really had a real heads up play there. That's a that's a headsy play, and you don't always get that anymore in baseball. Um, just it's a, it's a shame to say, but you don't. And so something like that, you look at and say that's value, right? Right. That's a value there. That is Drew Ellis doing that for you. You know what I'm saying? Like I don't know. I know that's not. Yeah, I'm but in the perfect world, and I I'm with you on all of these things. These intangibles. These the, the headiness. Yeah. At the same time, I would like to have a viable option that I, I could serve in games and, and, you know, feel like, hey, I might get some offense out of the player. And unfortunately, he just has not provided that. And thus, 
here we are having this conversation, and we'll probably continue to do so before the Phillies get to the trade deadline because they have to upgrade from the right side. Well, it could be – what I could see happening with Harrison is a lot like what they did with D.D. Gregorius last year. Like, Didi was a guy that was really like... Didi's back! I saw he that signed with the Mariners. Minor league deal. Yeah. Didi lives. Yeah, yeah, he's back at the Mariners. But it was the same thing. Like, and he was a really liked guy, really well-respected in that clubhouse, whatever. But they carried him up to the deadline or just after the deadline, whatever it was, um, before cutting him loose. Like, I could see that being the case. Like, Harrison, well, let, let's keep him as long as we can. And then if we can make an improvement, then we will. And if we right. can't, then we then we carry a veteran guy, and that's not the end of the world. You know what I'm saying? But I, I think it would be too soon to bail on him June 10th. I know uh, it's funny that you just said the date, June 10th uh, or June 9th, Welcome, because yeah. I, I don't I, – I know it is very early, but I want to talk a little bit about the landscape of the National League, and it's going to draw back to something you and I discussed privately yesterday, which is the the trade landscape, because now we start to think about, okay, we're, uh, there's 100 games left. They're in it. They've underwhelmed. They're going to probably, however, be in position to do something here. They're two and a half games out of the final wild card spot, and they are currently behind the Dodgers, who we see this weekend, the Miami Marlins, who – have been a middling team that just took advantage of the A's and the Royals. Uh, they pummeled those two teams mm-hmm. and they've surged ahead. I believe they're seven games over 500 right now. So you have to credit them for taking advantage of a soft schedule. The Pirates, who got off to that crazy start, crashed back to earth, but have since, you know, leveled out. Yeah. Kept it, yeah. Kept it like reasonable. And then the Giants are still ahead of them. Uh, and then right behind them, you have the Mets, you have the Reds, who all of a sudden are quite an interesting team. Uh, and the Padres, who are probably outside of Philadelphia, the the, the biggest underachievers in the sport right now, uh, arguably. Um, so yeah, yeah, you forget that team up north. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, yes, yes. <laughs> I, I look at this though, and I guess my my question to you is: uh, if I I tell you right now, uh, give me the three, give me the three National League wild card teams. Who are they when you look at that picture? Because I think that. The four teams ahead of the Phillies, then obviously the Phillies themselves, and the three teams behind that I just mentioned, that's that's eight total teams are currently in the wild card mix. And you could probably flip the Diamondbacks and Dodgers in the long run, which I'm sure you would. Yeah. Uh, it's uh, You know what's funny, Bob? Like, <laughs> to me right now, the only team that I'm confident will be in the playoffs as a wild card team is the Phillies. I think the Di- the Diamondbacks are probable. I just there's still something not not right with me with their pitching. And look, mm-hmm. hey, the Phillies are going to be lucky. They're going to miss Zach Gallon by the way. He's You know Merrill Kelly's been like pretty damn yeah, good. Yeah, Merrill Kelly's year. good too. I he's that's why I said they have two pitchers that are good and then the rest of the team is like they they piecemeal it and I don't know how long that can can last. You might be able to say that about the Phillies, though, right now. Yeah. Uh, just devil's advocate. No, but, for sure, okay. for sure. Yeah. yeah, but we've seen – what I'm saying is we've seen these guys pitch before. We know. Right. And I love – I think the Phillies' bullpen, that's what that's what, that's what what makes me so bullish about the Phillies more than anything else is that they can shorten games and other teams can't as well mm-hmm. as the Phillies can. The Phillies' bullpen is really, really good. Um, don't look at ERAs. Just look at what they can do and how they pitch. It's a really good bullpen. So that's why I'm I'm more bullish on them than any team as a wild card. I'd probably go Arizona as the as the next one. Um, 
at, at this point. Boy, the third one is just, I have no idea um, at this at this juncture because I don't think it's going to be Pittsburgh. I don't think it's the Mets. I, I don't think it's going to be the Marlins. Could the Padres rebound and get there? Yeah. I mean, I think that they still can. Um, I don't think it's going to be the Giants. So like, But it's it's wild. Like, to me, that's why I think that it's, you know, I don't know. I just th- I just think that the National League is so top heavy, and the Phillies should be in that top heavy part. They're not there right now, and maybe maybe they only get to to four by the end of the year, at best maybe five. But they, like to me, I look at the teams and I look at what they have on their rosters and say, this is a team that's a wild card team, and those other teams, I'm just not sure that they are. Well, I know that you love when I reference fan graphs, projections, and yeah, playoff percentages yeah. and all that, but I, just I'll point this out. That's fine. Uh, a week ago, we're recording this show. Phillies are in the middle of their free fall there that actually bottomed out in that first game against the Nationals. And at that point, on Friday morning of last week, fan graphs gave the Phillies a 21.4% chance to make the postseason. This morning, after their little resurgence here, 33.6%. You go, okay, whatever. They give the Marlins a 48% chance to make the playoffs right now. And the Mets, who are currently trailing the Phillies, 42% chance to make the playoffs. Why does Fangraphs like the Mets? Like the Marlins I get because they're seven games over. And uh, like I, I guess you could look at the Marlins through certain lenses and say like, all right, like why not them? The Mets though, like that brings me to the Mets. And you, I'm sure if you, you've been on social media, you, you have Twitter, you're a baseball Twitter person, you probably saw that the Marlins, or I'm sorry, the Mets for the first time in their storied franchise history have lost three consecutive games in which they held at least a three-run lead. Um, it, that's amazing, even by Mets standards. And last night, they blew three different leads, uh, I believe six to three, nine to five, and ten to six. Uh, and the Braves come back and walk them off 13 to 10. They, as you pointed out, I pointed it out as well, sweep the Phillies last week. And the Phillies have now since gained ground. They have gained ground on the Mets since the start of last Tuesday, despite being swept by them. Uh, that is something that only the New York Mets could do. And I don't know what the story is with Pete Alonso as we're recording this. There's some speculation that he may now miss extended time after getting hit on a pitch that was up and in by Charlie Morton the other night. I mean, what a freaking mess. And I don't think that they can buy their way out of this, at least not in 2023. No, and, and their bigger problem, I mean, look, their lineup is is weak behind besides Alonzo, which is it should be disappointing when you have a guy like Lindor, right? And, you know, you just sign. He stinks. Yeah. Francisco Lindor stinks. Yeah. Yeah, and his, uh, and you know, when you sign Nimmo to that big contract, you know, I know he gets on base, and you know, he's he he likes to celebrate himself a lot. Um, but it, beyond that, what do you got? I mean, Starling Marte showing he's getting old. Um, is Beatty going to be anything? I mean, Alvarez has shown some signs. I mean, being a top catcher, yeah, Alvarez has looked good. Right? Uh, yeah. You start to look at him and say, "Wow, he's shown some power." Beatty's been really weird. Yeah. You know, he's a player that has dominated at the minor league level. He's he's struggled uh, when he's been up. Still young, still has the time to figure it out. But I just, man, that mix. And you've you've kind of been on this about the bullpen as well. Like, there's not. 
They just don't have special arms. And like last night, you got a taste of the David Robertson experience. Yeah. And then you look out in a tie game and a must-win game for the Mets. And granted, they went through their better relievers, and I'll put those in like air quotes, earlier in the game as they were trying to protect that lead. And once they were unable to do so, and then you're trotting out Tommy Hunter? Yeah. I mean, oh, my God. Yeah. I'm- so you look at that team and you go – the the most expensive roster in the history of baseball, and that's what you get. No, it's and, it, and the rotation is not good. I mean, you know, Scherzer's kind of leveled off. Verlander looks like he's got nothing left. I every he hasn't had a good start yet. That was what was disappointing in the World Series for me last year. The second Verlander yeah. start, you're like, you know, go just go clobber him. Yeah. Like they they really like they let the Phillies let him off the hook. Yeah, in in his second start last year. Yeah, um, and, and he's done. Yeah, I think I, I really do. I think he's done. I think so too. And you know, Senga. Yeah, he had a good. I guess he had that quote unquote really good start against the Phillies. But he, you know, if 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 you have any kind of of good approach against him and you're patient against him, you're gonna beat you're gonna beat Senga. And what else do they have? You know, they, Tyler McGill. I mean, come on. I mean, like what? what like they don't have uh, any pitching. You look at their, if you go deeper into their 40 man, like they just have nothing back there, which is why you have, that's why you have the Tommy Hunters of the world on a roster. You say like, in what universe does a team with that type of payroll with the championship, as I call them, championship aspirations, how, how on earth does that pitcher exist on that team? And it's a testament to just how poor they are when you get into the depth of that organization, which is, by the way, something that we have seen here in Philadelphia for a very long time. Top heavy team. Once you get through that, those premium players, you get into that underbelly, it gets pretty ugly pretty quickly. Now, the Phillies have been a little bit better on that front here the last year or two. But up in theory, you go through 18 when they missed, 19 when they missed, 20 when they underachieved in the 60 game season. That was the problem. The Mets are seeing that themselves right now. Yeah, yeah. So I don't like. I I just don't see it. I didn't see it at the beginning of the year. Uh, I I I don't see it now. Like I kind of thought that the rest of the league was not quite good enough. And I I think if I recall correctly, when we did our picks back in the beginning of the season, I actually had the Mets as the sixth sixth seed in the playoffs. I had them making it, but only because I didn't think Arizona was quite ready or or anybody else really in the National League was going to be a contender for that wild card spot. Um, but now I, I, you know, I think Arizona and the Marlins may have passed them. Um, so yeah. Yeah. I mean, looking at the Marlins, you know, you said they took advantage and you're right that they did. They took advantage of uh, Oakland and Kansas city. I mean, a six game winning streak, right. Beating all of them. They do have a, they're, they're on a, a long road trip here, but it's not like they're playing good teams. They've got the white Sox, yeah. the Mariners and the, and the nationals coming up on this road trip. They, they could stay in this for a little bit longer, the Marlins. Yeah. So, I mean, you know. Uh, we'll see what they do with the White Sox. Yeah. The White Sox have shown some signs of life here recently. I mean, they're still, they got a long way to go. Ph- but Phillies they're... would be in first place in the American League Central right now. That's how bad Maybe. that division is. That's that's amazing to me because, you know, <laughs> I had some expectation of the White Sox at, at points. Uh, Cleveland had a nice season a year ago. Minnesota was a team that people kind of liked to a degree coming in. I mean, it's it's been a, a strange, very very strange division out that there. That Tigers team that we just we just saw Philly yeah. sweep as bad as that lineup is. Yeah. They're three and a half games out of first place in that division. Yeah. 
I'm I'm genuinely stunned that the Tigers were entering this series anywhere in the neighborhood of 500 after watching them play. Now they made some defensive plays this week. They, you said the, you know, the pitching was okay, but man, like that team is not even close. And they're missing Riley Green, who is you know, their top yeah. prospect and he played was hitting really well before he got hurt. Right. So, I mean, you do take an important player out of their lineup, but come on. I mean, that's one yeah. guy is not making that big of a difference. Uh, I want to briefly touch on, I know we're past the hour mark here. I want to kind of get to the finish line quickly. I just want to look at this series against the Dodgers uh, yeah. for a moment. So uh, I'll ask you, you know, what are you thinking here? Two out of three win, two out of three loss. Earlier this week, I think you said the Dodgers would probably take two out of three. I did. My guess is that the Phillies are going to win one. They better do it tonight. Uh, they'll have Ranger Suarez on the mound, uh, and they will see Michael Grove. He's a 26-year-old right-hander. He's made five starts this year. He's only pitched 21 innings. He's given up 25 hits, opponents hitting 291 against him. He's allowed four home runs in those 21 innings. Uh, and obviously the ERA is pretty ugly over eight. Uh, the Phillies seemingly do have the pitching advantage tonight. They've done better against right-handers this season than they have left-handers. Um, just give me your overall thoughts about this series and maybe the pitching matchups that we'll see the remainder of. Yeah, I mean, so it's I still I still think it's probably slightly in favor of the Dodgers two out of three. Um, but can I see the Phillies winning two out of three? I can. Uh, you know, I, th- I think the Dodgers haven't announced yet, but I think Urias is going to come back and pitch. It's going to be Urias. Uh, they said yesterday that like all indications are that he will return Sunday. So you'll see him go up against Walker on Sunday. Yeah. The only, the only thing with the only thing with that, and look, the Phillies don't hit lefties or we know this. And, um, but the only thing with that is, is that you're coming back for your first game after being out. Sometimes you, you, you just don't have your stuff or he's going to be on a pitch count. You know, he maybe won't throw as much. Dodgers bullpen has not been great. I mean, the Reds took advantage of it, for example, right? I mean, they they beat up on the Dodgers bullpen a little bit this past week. Um, and so I think that there are some some advantages the Phillies can take there. So maybe they can get a second win. Um, I don't – look, Bobby Miller has been just absolutely filthy since he came up. He's been awesome, and he was great against the Yankees on – I guess he pitched Sunday night, yeah. I believe, and he was good in his first start against the Braves, too. He had yeah. the Nationals in between. So I look at that, though, and he hasn't given up more than one earned run in any of his starts. He's been nasty. Yeah. Uh, so they have their work cut out for them. That Nola you, – you might be looking at and go, who the hell is Bobby Miller? And, hey, we got Aaron Nola going, advantage Phillies. And I wouldn't be surprised if the Phillies were – yeah, I think the Dodgers would actually probably be a slight favorite in that game tomorrow night, even though Noel is at home and the Phillies do get some credit yeah. from odds makers. But that that's a toss up at best. I agree uh, for the Phillies. I agree. I agree. So that's why I think it. You know, it, there's there's one like I think you're right. I think that there tonight's the game for them to get. Um, you know, Dodgers are coming off of a there's Dodgers coming off some travel. They did win a game yesterday and then get away right after losing a couple before that. You know, maybe you kind of catch them a little off guard and, and get this one, um, and then it'll be interesting to see over those last two. But yeah, I, I still, I still kind of put the the odds in favor of the Dodgers, but I wouldn't be surprised if the Phillies were able to get two out of three. Uh, all right, and that brings us to our one last thing. What do you have for us here? Well, we got we got we got to talk about it, Bob. We mentioned I told you about it earlier in the week. We did just just did talk about the Mets. We talked about the, you know them blowing three games against the Braves. That's not what I want to talk about, though, about that series. What I want to talk about is that in the first game of that series, uh, Pete Alonzo gets a, hits a home run off of Bryce Elder, who, by the way, prior to that game had been 
unbelievable for the Braves as a, you know coming up and pitching and, and and just been sensational almost to the point where he's kind of been their number one guy this year um and some microphones catch him you know he does his little celebration thing as Alonzo does he's a goofball um but then he gets into the dugout and the microphones catch him yelling out to uh to Elder throw that pitch again throw it again give me that pitch again like you know like just taunting him from the dugout which look i know this kind of stuff happens in in baseball all the time trash talk right it it happens in every sport the next night first inning first at bat runners on base as a matter of fact and charlie morton's throwing up and in on on alonzo beans him in the hand right knocks him out of the game obviously they're not intending to injure him there um they're going to say it was not intentional uh, and then, of course, the the Braves fans are, you know, as he's walking off the field, start deriding Pete Alonzo with "throw it again, throw it again," uh, which I think is kind of funny, actually. That that that's the that what the what the chant was. Here we go again with baseball's unwritten rule, right? Should you should you try and have some sort of retaliation? Should you send a message? And does it work? And I will point. I will sit here and say, in this instance. Look, you don't want to hurt a player. You don't want to knock a player out for six weeks or whatever. How you know? I don't know how long he's going to be out, whatever. But you don't want to knock a player out of the out of the lineup. But did it work? I think it did. I think the Braves got into the Mets' heads at that moment, and that was why they were able to come back a second night and a third night, three times the third night against the Mets. Because I think it was like you ain't doing it. You're gonna you're gonna taunt, try and taunt our guy. We are the first place team, not you. We're going to show you. I think that that was a rallying cry kind of thing for the Braves, and I think it worked really, really well. And it's a veteran pitcher with a very good manager supporting it and doing it. I think it makes it made a world of a difference. Uh, a couple things. Um, I know how I feel about Pete Alonso. I think he's a, a heck of a hitter. Uh, I think he may be the most agitating player in the game. Yeah. I, I just find him to be uh, – like, I don't know what the word is, a dork, a dweeb, <laughs> like a tool. Like, he's just, I just, I, I wonder if that's how other players feel about him yeah. uh, as well. Uh, he he claims, and if you go back and you look at that at bat, it came on the second pitch. The first pitch from Morton was a strike. It was up and in, but it was it was a strike, and he swung and missed at it. And then Morton stays up there, and he hits him. You know, Alonzo afterwards diffuses it and says he was not trying to hit me in fact charlie morton came came and found me after the game and and sought me out to apologize i don't know if that's pete alonzo trying to take what you're talking about that psychological advantage and he's trying to kind of diffuse that through the media or if charlie morton really went up to him and was like dude man like listen you were you were a dick last night none of us liked it that's how I tried to attack you, though, and it did get away from me. I was not trying to hit you. Like, maybe that's true, right? Yeah, yeah. But it's hard not to look at that, certainly the way it played out, what we saw in the opener, what we saw in that bat where Alonzo goes down, and then what transpires after it. It really is – it's difficult not to look at it from a distance and say, that's exactly what happened. I don't know, but I do know that even if Charlie Morton wasn't trying to hit him, I know that Charlie Morton was obviously trying to make him uncomfortable. and. I I think that the Braves were quite agitated by what Alonzo did in that game. And 
I don't know about intent, but I do know it happened, and I know the Braves have a significant upper hand uh, on that team right now. Yeah, and, and there's and, no question about any of that. And, and you could see it with every, every after the after that home run happened, Alonzo home run. Every big hit the Braves got, it was like they were so fired up, and you don't usually see that kind of consistent high level emotion. Mm-hmm. in june baseball i mean they were they were reacting like this was october you know and and so i really do think that that was something that spurred them on even more i i just think that it was a thing where alonzo should have let let well enough alone hit the home run celebrate in your dugout don't don't wake up the sleeping giant and they freaking woke up the sleeping and the Braves showed you just how good they are well, and that's what's that interesting way. about Atlanta. Like, I look at it from the other viewpoint, too, that Atlanta wins the first two games of the series. They do it by, by mounting comebacks. There's, like, an emotional element to that. And then you get to the, the finale, and I know they actually were the team that jumped out 3 nothing last night, but it's 5-3. Nemo hits the grand slam. They get down 6-3. Strider's getting hit around. You go, okay, we won two out of three at home against the Mets. We created some more distance. We made our point. It would have been easy to kind of shut things off. Yeah. But you kind of just got the sense that they had – because a lot of teams, I think, are inclined. There's like that natural inclination to just sort of roll over and say, all right, two out of three ain't bad. Let's move on. They they, they never shut it down, though. Like, And as you watch that game play out last night, like, again, you know I have like a little bit of that gambling-centric viewpoint on these games. I'm looking at it, and I'm like, 6-3, 9-5, 10-6. And I'm looking at the live money line, and I'm like, man, the Braves are not a bad play in this game. And I didn't do it. Yeah. I'm not going to sit here and act like I, I hammered the Braves plus 550 or anything. But, uh, man, the way that played out, like, you kind of just knew. You kind of knew, like, in the fifth inning what might go down there. You really did. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm so like I you know, I know a lot of people don't like that you throw at a batter after something like that happens, right? Yeah. But I think that I think that in that specific moment, you have to look at it and say, if you're the Braves, responding the way that they did was the right thing to do because it helped the team win. And it wasn't just we're gonna retaliate because you acted like a donkey. You know, yeah. I think I think there was more to it than that. And I think it, it, it spurred the team on. And, you know, if that if that can make your team win, then you're doing something right. Well, here we go. Uh, big weekend series against the Dodgers. I'm sure the crowds will be excellent uh, all three games this weekend. I expect big time attendance out there at Citizens Bank Park. Phillies will need that uh, against one of the best teams in baseball. And with a sweep, the Phillies would be over 500 come Sunday night. Just keep that in mind. They were able to win two out of three. They moved within a game, I believe, of 500. We'll see what happens. Uh, Anthony, you'll be covering the games both on, what, Friday, Saturday, and then I'll have the Sunday game as well. So make sure that you're uh, heading over to Crossing Broad for all of our thoughts there. Check out our game stories, all the other coverage. And then, again, make sure that you're following us on Twitter, at UpPhillies is the show account, at Philly. I'm at Bob Wankel CB. Make sure you're checking us out on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, anywhere that you get your podcasts. And we will talk to you on Monday. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Talk soon.